Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I want to talk this morning about hope. And, you know, the Bible talks about three big things in our lives, faith, hope, and love. And I reckon as Christians and churches, we talk a lot about faith and we kind of get that that's really important. And if we're, we're people of faith and we don't have pay, faith, we kind of haven't really got anything, have we? And we talk about love, about love and we're people of love, but actually Paul says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And I reckon we often underestimate the place of hope and the significance of hope that we're a people of hope. And in a world that often is hopeless, in a world that because it's fallen and it's broken, stuff happens in our life, that part of what it means to be kingdom people is somehow we find hope. Somehow we have this unshakable hope. And, and it's not some kind of little ditzy, you know, Pollyanna kind of thing. In Romans 5, Paul says this, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. It's so like if you think of someone of real character, according to Paul, the effective character in their life is that they're a person of hope. So hope is something incredibly substantial in our lives. We're people of faith who believe in God. We're people of love who are committed to acting out in love. We're, but also people of hope who believe that God is bringing good things. God is doing good things, even though things can be tough, we are a people of hope. And so I believe that it's, it's much more important than we think to understand that Equippers Christchurch is a, is a community of hope who look forward to things that God is going to do, who live in unshakable hope that God is moving us forward. Think so? Okay. So back up the truck a bit. I, I want to talk a bit about this. And the context comes out of... Um, so until four years ago, we lived here in Christchurch, so we were around during all the earthquake stuff, and so I was in an unusual position in, during the big earthquakes, because we weren't pastoring a church, I was running Laidlaw College, the Bible college over in uh, Papanui, but I was on study leave when the big February earthquake happened, so I kind of, was kind of probably like the one church leader who wasn't suddenly swamped with a whole lot of stuff to do, because I didn't have anyone to look after. Um, but the, but I kind of felt God say, I don't want you to rush out and do a lot of stuff. I want you to actually to stop and to think and to write down what I'm telling you. And, and um, that there's other people that can dig out mud and stuff, but I want you to think and I want you to write. And, and I felt like God gave me a, a, a whole lot of downloads about how to think about what was going on and how to equip people to move forward through that. And I distinctly remember the day after the February earthquake, we lived in Beckenham, and just driving around by coffee culture Beckenham, uh, just turning through the lights, and suddenly this overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit's presence and God saying one word to me, which is a sense of what he was about, which was recovery. And, that, and right at that time, there was people were popping up around going, oh, I'm a prophet, this is God's judgment on the city. And I was like, no, you're not, that's not right. I know where God is, and God is here to bring recovery. And, and God is a God of recovery. And so, uh, and so I felt like a whole lot of stuff, four or five parts, because my job was teaching the Bible, of stuff that I taught about and thought about for years, all came together like, oh, this is how you recover. 
And this is how you see hope restored. So I want to talk about these kind of four or five things. If you're all good in life, that's fine. You just store this away for some time, for, some, for, you, for, that, for that friend who needs it, okay? Or you store it away for some time when life deals you something. So if you're all good, I'm sorry I'm wasting your morning, but um, if, you need, if you need some keys, like how do you, how do you recover hope? then I, I hope, I, I just want to give, I hope that I give you some keys to how to recover hope uh, when hope gets, hope gets squashed. Is that all right? Awesome. So, um, so the first one, a, a passage that came to mind for me, if you can flick out, is Nehemiah 1 uh, verse 4. And uh, I don't know if you know the story of Nehemiah. He was this incredible leader who was involved in recovery and restoration. In fact, when they had lost hope, he was the guy who injected hope back in and saw them rebuild a whole wall and rebuild a city. So, man, he's the de- like, if there's one guy that you read for how to rebuild city, like after the earthquake, every church preached series on Nehemiah, right? Because for the first time, you can actually preach it literally, how do you rebuild a city? Um, but, but it's interesting where, where you look where it started. So I, I'm just going to share five things. This is the first one. So Nehemiah, this, when I, when I heard the news, this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And, and the thing that struck me is this is a guy who would later go on and rebuild a whole city. But do you know what his first reaction is? He just sat down and cried and wept for days. And I, and I think one of the things that we, if we're going to rebuild hope, there's a process. And one of the things, particularly as Pentecostal Christians, we don't do well is we don't know how to grieve. And we don't know how to just stay in that moment. We want to jump to, I'm the person of faith, I'm the person of victory, we're going to do this. But this guy, just for a few days, it just he sat down and wept. And I, I, I don't know how many times I meet with people who something has happened in their life, and they're like, oh, no, it's all going to be good. And you explain, listen, listen, if you cut your finger a little, if you nick your finger, it'll all be good because the human processes of, of healing will restore it. But if you have an accident and you chop your arm off, the whole definition is tra- of trauma is your whole natural systems of coping and healing are overwhelmed, and you're actually traumatized, and you need some help to get back there. And we need to know that we serve a God who steps into people's trauma and begins to bring healing from that place. But there's no point in kind of going, yeah, I'm all good. No, you're not good. And, and, and the Bible, part of the gospel is, is this, you know, it's looking at definition, part of trauma is destroys our sense of safety and control. We feel helpless and vulnerable in a dangerous world. Uh, and, and part of the gospel that we often miss, yeah, the gospel comes for those who feel guilty that they would feel forgiven, for those who feel dirty that they would feel clean, for those who feel in bondage that they would feel free. But part of the, I reckon actually one of the main things that Jesus said that he came to do is people who feel broken, I come and put them back together again. Let me show you Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. We're quite used to going, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. God, I'm in bondage. I just need to be set free. God, I feel dirty. I need to be, set, I need to be made clean. What about this? God, I'm just, I'm crushed. My heart is broken. We sang, didn't we sing that? My heart is broken. God's like, 
Welcome to the gospel business. I come to heal brokenhearted people. Your heart in the Bible, if you do a study, is all about um, treasure and security and value. And it's like, I've lost hope when that's got broken. God goes, that's what I'm into. Jesus, can, Jesus uh, Psalm 147 verse 3 picks up. He heals the brokenhearted. He bandages their wounds. Um, God knows how to step into the world of people who go, I've lost hope. Something's broken on the inside of me. Is the, and God goes, that's what I love to do. When you're overwhelmed, when you're traumatized, and you can't heal by yourself, I come in and heal that stuff. That's what God does. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? And it's like, I, I don't know, how, like I said, I don't know how many times I sit down with people who go, listen, if your arm had been ripped off, you would be go rushing off to a trauma clinic because you are not going to cope. Um, and Jesus, when, when he, Isaiah 61, 1, he quotes this, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Yeah, preach good news to the poor. Second one, to comfort the brokenhearted. And part of recovery of hope is to start with, do you know what? Uh, is just to kind of give yourself permission to grieve. Have you ever not read the book of Psalms? 75% of the Psalms are laments. God, what happened? I don't understand. I'm angry. I'm upset. How could you let this happen, God? Like, you, you've got permission to grieve. <laughs> you've got permission to be broken. You've got permission to not be okay. And then God comes and meets you. Because the thing that I love about God, God can meet us at any point we're at except, except hypocrisy and lies. Because he, he engages with truth. And so, and so part of engaging with truth is, God, I, this is where I'm at. I need you to meet me here. I remember I, I wrote this as a blog and I posted it. Um, late at night, and I got this message four o'clock one morning from a pastor of a church in Christchurch who had fled to the North Island, sitting on a beach in the North Island, and just had felt overwhelmed with stuff and couldn't cope and had run away. And when they read this, they just said, I've been sitting here traumatized but feeling so guilty that I didn't cope with the earthquakes. And, and this gave me permission to go, oh, yeah, I'm overwhelmed, I'm broken, and I'm traumatized. That's okay, because <laughs> then God can meet you there. So, but what, so, so that's the first step, I think. Just a Nehemiah whip. Yeah, he would, in a few days, launch the greatest move of recovery and hope that's ever been seen, but for a few days he just wept. I don't know if that's depressing, but that's the first step. The second step, the second thing I realized is from the story of Elijah. If you go to the book of Elijah, I don't know if you know... Um, Elijah, we got that one, First Kings, awesome. Uh, Elijah was this amazing prophet, but he had this moment in his life when he lost hope. And I want to see what happened. So he was afraid, fled for his life, went to this place, left his servant there. Next one. Uh, he sat alone in the wilderness, sat under a tree, and, says that, and prayed that he might die. How many know that's not a good space? I mean, that's total loss of hope. I just want to die. And then he says this, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors have already died. And then I want you to notice what, how God steps into his life. 
says this, he lay down, slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Next one. He looked and there beside his head was some bed break, bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Next one. The angel of the Lord came again, touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Well, the journey of your head will be too much for you. Notice what the angel said. He didn't say, come on, man. You're a mighty man of God of faith and valor. Arise in faith and triumph. He said, Elijah, you need to eat and you need to sleep and you need to drink. And then you need to eat some more and you need to sleep some more and you need to drink some more. I want, to give you, how, I want to give you some keys. How do you dig yourself out of a hole when you've lost hope? If the first step is that you grieve, the second step is you start doing the basics well and you start looking after yourself. Come on, you start looking after yourself. You eat and sleep and drink. You get exercise. You do things. You start building back in capacity. That what you often think is, is a spiritual answer is actually around a physical and psychological stuff. You need to put the basics back in place. Come on, you might not be going through, but I want to tell you the next time that you have a relative who dies and you're wondering how to support the, the per, their loved one, it's like, come on, grieve, but come on, also look after yourself. But if you're going through something now, just do the basics. Come on, do the basics. We're looking for the big solution. Just do the basics and start building stuff back into your life. So Nehemiah says the, f- the first step is just learn to grieve and to acknowledge being brokenhearted and let God meet you there. But the second lesson from Elijah is start to build back in the basics and start to build some capacity. If you want to go on a bit more with Elijah, if you um, flick up the next one. So he got up and drank and he went to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then the next one. And then if you know, um, did we miss out a verse there? Did I miss out a verse? Go back. Too hard to go back. God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And, I, and Elijah has this little spiel. I don't know, if you, have you ever found you kind of get this little spiel going in your head? Elijah's got a little spiel. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their elders, killed everyone of their prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And what's the next one? So God challenges them, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Such a terrible blast, the rock, this is a very dramatic translation, isn't it? Such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. Next one. After the earthquake, there was a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Next one. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said the same thing again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's like, so you got Nehemiah, he learns to grieve and be brokenhearted. Elijah then starts to do the basics well. But the, precisely, he's found himself in a place where actually it has tapped into some issues. And God's going, what was the trigger behind this, Elijah? Why did this impact you so much? Why is it throwing you so much? And I, and I just want to say, sometimes when we get stuck in life, we need some counselors or someone that can just get us answered. Like, uh, wh- why did this hurt you so much? Why did this thing fall over for you? And we sometimes need some help to unpack that. And if you flick up the next verse, um, you know, he spills out the same thing. I've zealously served the Lord God, the people of Israel broken, then the covenant you torn down your elders, killed everyone of your prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And, 
It's, do you know what? I don't know if you remember what Elijah said when he said, I just want to die. I'm no better than my ancestors. Suddenly you realize, oh, Elijah, you've been an amazing guy, but there's something about driven about you. You've been trying to prove that you're better than all of your ancestors your whole life, and it's just about killed you. And, that, and that's actually the issue. Okay, you need to grieve, you need to rebuild, but Elijah, we need to deal with this issue of you've been trying to prove something to God and to everyone. You've been trying to prove that you're different to the last few thousand years of Israelite history, and it's just about killed you. And, and God challenges them to deal like, Elijah, you've learned about me in the big drama and stuff. I want you to learn about me in the quiet place. And, and, and I want to, I want to, I've found in my life, um, some of you know, might know this story. So my wife and I went to the Philippines when we were about 25 or so, 12-week-old baby. It was all very dramatic. Bought a one-way ticket. We we're going to go there. We we're going to save the world. We we're never coming back and whatever. And um, three years later, you know, we came back and, um, for a visit. And, and in one sense, it had gone well. In another sense, it was a disaster. And we um, were just about on the verge of divorce. And we went to join a mission agency. And they said, oh, if you're going to... Uh, and the psychologist actually was here in Christchurch, actually. The psychologist was real good. He said, oh, these people are real passionate, but, man, you can't send them out yet. They'll never survive. That. They need to do some work on their lives. So they made us stay, he made us stay behind for 18 months and do counseling. I was like, oh, you must be joking. And my wife was like, finally, someone's listened. And um, so we did this. But one of the things we learned, that was over 20 years ago, we've learned the importance of what you call going on the inner journey. Because do you know the things that burn me out and make me lose hope? It's not the world. It's the things in here and in here. And, and God showed Elijah, man, you got some stuff that's killing you. You need to sort this stuff. If you're going to be a person of sustained hope, I need to deal with some of the stuff inside. I don't know if this sounds all a bit psychobabble, but um, it's what I've learned. So it's like, so Nehemiah first step, learn to grieve and be brokenhearted. Like, read your Bible. That's what a lot of people do in the Bible. Second step, um, that was near Elijah, just start to do the basics well, sleep and exercise and food. Third one, start to let God explore, like, why has this impacted you so much? Why did this one? My wife works for Child Cancer Foundation. It's part of any secular professional organization. She has to have a supervision once a month meeting where she goes and sees a counselor who basically says, why did this case get in and affect you so much? Why did that one hurt? Um, you managed all the rest. That one got in. Why? What's that about? And it's, that's the kind of journey thing. Um, so, the, so the fourth thing I want to look at is, okay, so I've, 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 I've grieved and I've acknowledged that's where I'm at. I've started to do the basics well. I've started to let God deal with some of the stuff in my heart. How do you actually start rebuilding hope? Is that what we've been waiting for? Yeah. Right. How do you actually rebuild? And, and this is where I love this. The first chapter of the Bible tells you how God rebuilds hope. Okay, so Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That sounds great, doesn't it? The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. How many thinks that sounds hopeful? No, that's a mess. It's called chaos. He looks out on a world that is total chaos. There is no hope for anything. And then he spends the rest of the chapter, how do you take something of total chaos, and at the end of the chapter, God looks out and goes, this is all very good. 
Here's the deal. God wants to do that in your life and your situation. But you need to know some keys of how God takes us from formless and void and dark and chaotic to the point where it's ordered and filled over with overflowing with life and it's all very good. Who wants to go on that journey? I do. Well, what's some keys? Have a look at this. So this is where God steps in. Verse 3. Next one. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I, I think I might have told this before, but I'm just, just see if you can pretend you haven't heard it if you have. I love to picture this, that all eternity, God is going, one day we're going to create this universe, okay? And they're telling the angels, and like, we're going to do this thing. And then one day they wake up, and he says to Gabriel the angel, today's the day, we're going to create the universe. The angel like, well, so excited, put on their carpenter's belt, you know, all ready to go, step out there. And God says, are you ready? Here we go. And he says, let there be light. In English, it's four words. In Hebrew, it's two words. Yahi or. And God says this, and boom, there's light. And the angels are like, wow, that's amazing. And God says, man, yeah, look at that. That is good, isn't it? And then they go, great, what's next? And he says, no, I think that's enough for today. We should knock off, come back tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, we've been waiting all eternity for this. You do two words, and then you say, well, knock off. He says, yeah, but he said, look at that, the, how we got this light, dark thing going, light, dark, like, that is good. And they're like, yeah, but look at all the rest of the mess. It's still watering, chaotic. There's nothing there. And he goes, no, no, but look at the light, dark. That's, that part is now good. See, our fallenness and the devil wants you to keep looking at all the things that are still chaotic. God wants you to learn looking at the one part that like now we've put something good back into this thing. You know, it was after the earthquake, it's like, yeah, my street's still undrivable. There's no power. There's no water. But, you know, we've cleaned all the broken glass from the lounge and now we can sit down there. That's a good win for today. And if you're going to rebuild hope, you need to learn this. You need to learn to celebrate the partial good. You need to see the good. I have, I'm, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Today, I've put this thing back in a better space. And tomorrow, we're going to get up and we're going to go again. And we're going to get a little bit more goodness in our world. And then tomorrow we're going to get up again and we're going to put a little bit more goodness in our world. And we're not going to suddenly find it all good, but it's going to be getting, I want to say, gooder and gooder and gooder. <laughs> That's how God works. You know, even if you go on, I don't know if we've got the second day. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. We've got the next one. God said, let there be space between the waters, separate the waters from the heavens and the earth. Next one. And so he did that. And the next one. And the second day, he doesn't even say it's good. Sometimes there's things that aren't just particularly good, but they move you on further down the track. And hope starts to ignite again when you start to not look at how far i got to go, but you start to look at where I was yesterday or where I was this time last week and something that I've now put back in place, and I'm starting to put good back into my life. What's the next verse we got? We jumped down. By the end, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I just believe that this is a real key to unlock Hope starts to arise. If you keep looking at where you want to end up, you're going to feel hopeless. If you look at, like, what can I do today to move me on one more step? Come on, hope starts to arise. 
My house is still trashed. I'm still arguing with the insurance, but we've got all the broken stuff cleaned out from the lounge, and we can sit in there. And tomorrow we're going to clean out the bedrooms, and they're going to be a bit better. And tomorrow, I may not, my family might, I not change that earthquake metaphor, maybe I'm not sussed with all relationships, but I've reconnected with that one daughter. You know, and next week I'm going to try and reach out to my son. And I'm believing that I'm just going to have some good relationships. And, and I'm not there yet, but I'm starting to build good back into my life. And, and the way that God does it, he actually builds in structure. We haven't got time to go into all of this. But he builds in structure, and then he comes back and he fills up the structure. So he divides the, the light and the dark, and then he divides the water above and below, and then he divides the water and the land, and then he comes back and he fills all those spaces. And, and we just want to jump to where it's all blessing and fullness. But it's like God just starts to put structure and order back in our lives. Hey, I've managed to pay off this one credit card. I've still got four other ones, but we paid this one off. You know, I've, I've, I've only got, I've, I've now got less than $1,000 on the farmer's card to pay. You know, I'm making progress. I'm building goodness back in my life. If you want to recover hope, I reckon this is, you start to build goodness back in your life. Is that all right? So we start with um, Nehemiah. I learned to just grieve and to, be, and to let God meet me in brokenhearted. With Elijah, I learned to start doing the basics right and let God start dealing with some stuff. From Genesis, I start to let God start prompting me. Like, you could do this today to make your world a little bit better. This would bring a little bit more goodness in your world. Which then I want to go back to Nehemiah. If you flick up Nehemiah... Now, now Nehemiah's on a roll. Now he's kind of Justice League superhero kind of status from sobbing mess on the floor two chapters ago. But he says this, You see the distress that we were in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates were burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. See, that's an incredibly inspiring vision. Come on, actually, sorry, can we go back to that? Actually, you see hope has come back. I think we could do it. I reckon we could do this. Why? Because I've seen, I've walked through the steps. I've grieved. I've learned to do the basics well. I'm building some good things into my life. I can, we're starting to pick up momentum. I reckon we could do this. I reckon we could do this. I think we got this with God. And it's like there's start, hope starts to arise again. But if you notice what, and, and I love this, if you go on the next one. And he told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he'd spoken to me. So they said, let us arise and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. Notice he'd been good upon me. And this good work is like, do you know, it's like, Man, I'm still, I'm still trying to sort out this, but, but you know, I, I, like I said, I've paid off this one credit card. I've, I've sorted out that argument with, the win, with wins that I've got to repay some of the benefit. You know, I've, I've, we've, we've, the lawns are no longer a meter high and the kids are lost in them. We've, we've kind of gotten them down and mowed. You know, we've cleaned the bathroom. There's no longer strange things growing on it. It's like things are, I'm seeing God is with me in this. And here's the testimony. It says, 
I told them of the hand. I'm starting to see, do you know what? It's not just me digging. God met me in my brokenness. He started to prompt me as I started doing the basics well. He spoke to me about some stuff. Do you know what? God is in this. Do you know why I have hope? Because God is rebuilding in this. Do you know God is in this thing? God is in your life. God is for your family. God is for your career and your business. God is for the city and this nation. And our testimony as people of character is, oh, we have seen the hand of God in this. Come on, where do you see? Can you see the hand of God in your life? Can you see the hand of God? Because hope starts to arise. God is doing this. And, and I love this thing, um, that, that it, then it's not just signs like I'm slowly picking myself up. It's signs that the power of God is at work in this and that it's resurrection power. Ephesians 1.18 says this, if we've got this. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and then this. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the workings of his mighty power. How did we get into New King James? Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's like, I'm praying that your eyes are open so you understand there is a resurrection power at work in your life. What's resurrection power? When you've lost all hope and this thing is dead, it comes back to life. When there is no reason for hope, resurrection life come on that's why i said we're a people of hope because this is the core of the gospel when there is no hope we serve a god of resurrection power and when there is no hope you have resurrection power living inside of you there is always hope because of resurrection power. i think one of the problems i there's two more things i want to share is we we, we kind of misunderstand the nature of resurrection power if you flick up john uh this is this is the example of the first woman who ever met a resurrected human being, okay? Jesus said to a woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be a gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away. This, on one level, it's like, oh yeah, she thought he was a gardener, he's in the garden tomb, da 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 he, uh, The apostle John works on multiple levels. Here's an interesting thing. We often think resurrection is like the hallelujah chorus, like massive, big, triumphant, yeah, we kicked it, yeah, it's all massive, no, 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 resurrection looks like this. Where in the Bible before had there been a guy who was a gardener? Back in Genesis chapter two. Resurrection is not often dramatic. Resurrection is quietly, it's just new life is there again. And you must, so you need to learn to, resur you need to learn to recognize resurrection life. It's just, I'm still struggling, but somehow this, there's just, it just feels new and fresh again here. It just feels new and fresh again here, this part. I think there's resurrection happening. It just feels new and fresh again. Feels like a new start, a fresh start. Feels like something's happening here. Just feels new. We need to learn to recognize. We need to help other people recognize. Hey, last week you were saying life all sucks. Now you feel like going out to see a movie. Hey, it feels like there's just a bit of life and vitality coming back into you. Hey, I heard you laughing. I remember that actually. 
sometime after the earthquakes, hearing our kids laugh again in the lounge, go, there's life coming back. There's life coming back. Con, you need to learn to recognize resurrection life. So, so you got where we're going? So over here, Nehemiah, dribbling mess on the floor. Learn to grieve and be brokenhearted and let God meet you there. Elijah, eat and drink and sleep. Do the basics well. Start to rebuild this. Elijah in the, in the cave. Learn to, God speak, let, learn to let God speak to the issues that start touching you. But then Genesis, let God start leading you to just do little things that are good. Start rebuilding stuff. Yeah, the music team could come back down. Start rebuilding stuff. Start shaping stuff. And then, and then Nehemiah too, start to learn to have this confession. I've seen the hand of God on my life. Yeah, a few days ago I was a dribbling mess, but then this word of God spoke to me or this friend texted me with a word or I read this thing in a Bible. I was listening to this thing on TV and I was encouraged. I can see God's at work in my life. Come on, we can do this thing. God's doing this thing. God is here. And, and then the final step I think for me is found to do with this Nehemiah uh, thing, if you go to Ezra, we got Ezra? We haven't got Ezra. We got John. Ezra chapter four. Did I not give you that one? Ezra four? No? Okay. What happens? Um, someone tell me if it pops up. Ezra four. Interesting. This is the process when they were rebuilding. I've got to find it on my phone. Ezra chapter four. The end of the chapter, just see, it says this. Oh, there it is, cool. The work of the Lord had ceased. They had lost hope. This was the point where they had lost hope. They'd stopped rebuilding. And it was discontinued. And then if you go into chapter five, we got that? No. Tell me if it pops up. Just says this. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in the name of the Lord God of Israel, who was over them. And we got verse 2. We were going so well there for a while. Verse 2. It just finishes with this. Yeah, notice this. The last, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Listen, hope is about something that we don't yet see. There's something of this prophetic thing that says, I need a download from heaven. All my circumstances might say this is chaotic, but I actually believe there's a role of the prophetic that begins to speak again vision and dream and destiny. Like, like I'm, I'm doing the hard yards of letting God deal with my brokenheartedness. I'm, I'm doing the hard yards of rebuilding the basics of my life. I'm letting God deal with the issues. I'm working away at just putting good back in my life. But, and I'm beginning to testify to where I see God moving. But do you know what? I'm also starting to believe again. I'm starting to believe again that there is yet actually, rather than it all over, there are bigger dreams yet to come. Come on, there is purpose and there is future and there are visions and there are dreams and it's beginning to stir in my heart again that now there's this fire of hope that stands on the other side of character. It's not just a naive hope that I think it's all gonna go well. It's been through some dark things and it dares to stand up again out of a place of character and speak hope with a prophetic dream and vision and destiny. And so the final one I want to look at is Acts chapter 2. I want you to stand up. Let's just stand. Acts chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. That's why I believe the devil's agenda is to steal hope because the spirit is always moving us forward into purpose and destiny. And when we find ourselves caught up in the spirit, dreams start to get downloaded. Visions start to get downloaded. We start prophesying into our future. And, and that's why hope is so important. I just want you to start in your own heart just to engage with God. I was speaking at the Vineyard Church's National Conference a few weeks ago, just in Grace Vineyard down the road. And a guy, interesting, one of the guys said, he said, he said, I never had a faith crisis. I still believed in God. I never had a love crisis. I still loved his church. But I actually had a hope crisis. And what came back like, I believe God has greater things. I believe God is moving me forward. I believe that I'm seeing visions and dreams and I'm speaking prophetic words and God's purpose still stands. I'm believing that. And I just believe this morning that God just wants hope. And I don't know where you are. And maybe, like I said, maybe you're all good. That's fine. File it away. Like, I don't know what that guy was talking about. File it away till you come across one of those friends who needs it. But if you've got an area in your life like, yeah, I, I need hope. I don't know where you are in that process. From brokenhearted to the basics, to dealing with the heart stuff, to, to just building good, to start seeing the testimony of resurrection power, to begin actually prophesying future and purpose and destiny. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.